0: Let's get rolling. Uh, Starting a new series month in November, going to call it Counterculture, and the idea behind it is that our culture lives a certain way, with certain goals. Suburbia, you know, has its own goals, its own way of life, its own approaches uh, to to do different things, and Jesus invites us to be counterculture. He invites us to a different way of life, and we're going to be looking at some of the implications of that this month, and today I want to talk about Jesus... I'm calling it singular focus, but Jesus essentially says, um, you know, and, and it's the rest of Scripture say, if we can make Jesus our central focus in life, then he will give us peace, like the culture doesn't know. Culture does its own thing and has its own results. Jesus brings us peace. And let me start off talking about Troy Aikman. I talked about this a few years ago, like five, six years ago. I told this story, and my boys every now and then will bring it up, like it's something that just kind of had some teeth to it, and I think it's just one of the, uh, one of the best examples I know of for this concept. So Troy Aikman, um, Super Bowl, quarterback, Hall of Fame, Dallas Cowboys, mid-90s, I hate the Cowboys, uh, just so you know. Uh, most of my NFL experience is more about hating other teams than, you know, <laughs> cheering for my own. Um... Anyway, Browns fans are left with few options for joy except for rooting against other teams. Troy Aikman, um, he was—I mean, yeah, mid '90s America's team, Dallas Cowboys. He was everywhere. He was an icon. He was almost, in some ways, like the LeBron James of the of the mid '90s. Um, you know, him and him and Michael Jordan and it, all that were 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 huge back then, and. Um, uh, he won his first Super Bowl, and it's said that, that he, um, the rest of his team's out tearing up the town celebrating this incredible accomplishment. The Super Bowl's about as big of a trophy as you're going to get, right, in, in, in all of the sports world. And he's the quarterback of the Super Bowl champions, and his team's out tearing up the town. He's up in his hotel room having a borderline panic attack with a drink in his hand, asking himself, what now? Like he achieved the thing. And now what? It wasn't all that that he thought it would be. And so, so there's this, there's this quote. This is this is from the, um, this is from the New York Times. I'll never forget when I was twelve. This is this is Troy. Man, I'll never forget when I was twelve years old. The quarterback said, I, "I couldn't wait until the day I was sixteen and could drive a car. I thought that'd be the end of life's problems. I mean, you can drive." What is there left? And then I turned 16 and realized there were still problems. Well, I kind of said the same thing after my first Super Bowl. You think once you win it, all your problems are solved professionally. But I've won two now, and it hasn't solved a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing. Troy Eggman achieved everything that any little boy wants, right? And he's gonna be great, gonna win a Super Bowl, gonna be the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Be rich, famous, well, you know. And he got it. And then he said it didn't solve a thing, not a thing. Now contrast that, I'm gonna invite you to um uh, reach in front of like the, the the chair in front of you. You'll see the rack in front of you, and there's a Bible there. And I would love for you to follow along with me. Maybe um, bring the lights up a little bit. And um, this is just something like this is uh, this is how I really prefer to teach. Is just with a Bible in everybody's hand and just kind of walk through. Um, uh, this is I'm going to start on on page um, 1181. I'm just going to refer to this real quick. This is this is the Apostle Paul. It's Philippians. It's on page 1181, it's, it's, you'll look for the big number four, that's the chapter, and then the little number 11. We're going to start halfway through, through verse 11. And, and I want you to contrast Paul, this is thousands of years ago, and um, contrast Paul with, with Troy Aikman, Super Bowl, Hall of Fame, millionaire, all the luxuries of, of you know 1996 compared to what Paul had. And Paul says this halfway through verse 11. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wouldn't that be great? Like, would you rather be a billionaire who is the best at your field or be completely content with your life now as it is? Like, you kind of got to wrestle with that up front. Would I rather have total contentment right now or be a billionaire and the best at my field? Just, just, Food for thought, but Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I'm completely content. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this. Now, this, this verse is often used by athletes. Um, and it's one of those perfect verses for like, you know, a bumper sticker. I can do all things through, I can do all this through, through him who gives me strength. And that's, that's good to apply it to anything. But it was meant to be so much more than just like having a better three-point percentage. Um, he's talking about real life Want versus having everything. And he says the secret to contentment keeping God the central pursuit of your life. Everything else is not going to bring contentment, peace, fulfillment, joy. It'll all be momentary and fleeting. Contentment in all things. All circumstances comes through keeping Jesus central. That's Paul's approach. So you have a Super Bowl champion who says, it didn't do a thing, not a single thing. And then you have Paul, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but Paul, his, his summary statement is, I know the secret to being content, and it comes to learning to do all things through and with Jesus as centered. Let me while you got your Bible in hand turn to page 967 and we're going to walk through this moment at the beginning of Jesus ministry. And remember, and this is so important to like the, this is like the, the I want everybody to be familiar with the Bible. That's like Goal, one, of my, one of my biggest goals in life is to just help people become familiar with the scriptures, because for me, they, they, they're, such a, they're such a source of getting through this world. And remember that one of the problems that we have as modern Americans is we like for things to come in bullet points. Like, just give me the, that's one, like, like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Like, that's, that's a perfect little bullet point, and we love that, and that's good. That's, but a lot of the scriptures come to us in the form of, of, of accounts of what we're observing somebody live. And it doesn't usually say, and so think this, 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 this. Instead, we're encouraged like we might observe somebody in real life. We watch what they do. We mine it for what does this mean? What is this saying about humans? What is this saying about God? Okay, so that's what we're going to do with this, and I'm going to walk you through it here. I'm going to start in verse one. Big number four, that's the chapter. Verse one. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, know that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says he was led by the Spirit, led by God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So first of all, um, one of the things that God wants Jesus to do at the very beginning is to go be tempted, just like we're all tempted. And this is obviously done so that, so that Jesus can know what it's like to be human and so that we can see how Jesus battles temptation. And what we're going to see here is Satan is going to tempt Jesus with three of, greats, uh, of life's great uh, distractions, you could say, with three Super Bowls with three ways that we often as humans get caught up and distracted from God. Now, Jesus, knowing he's being tempted, what does Jesus intuitively do? He's going to be tempted, and so he intuitively starts to fast. That's a huge lesson right there. Like, we're observing Jesus' behavior, and he, he, he knows he's being led into the wilderness for this massive temptation at the beginning of his ministry, and the first thing he does to get his senses straight is he fasts. Now, Um, In my experience, and in reading, you know, church history and things like that, there are two things you can do. Two things in life bring fast spiritual growth. Everything else is slow. One is pain, two is fasting. Those are two things that bring about quick spiritual growth, pain and fasting. I don't like either of them. Like, they're both pretty miserable. But they both bring about spiritual growth quickly. So Jesus is like, oh, I'm going to get tempted. I better fast. Now we're going to see these distractions. Let's look at what Satan does. The tempter came to him, this is verse 3, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So distraction number one. Jesus is in, is in the, 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 the desert. He's in the wilderness in Israel. And, and uh, you know I was there about 10, 12 years ago. And I can tell you that you step off that bus, and it is oven door heat. Oh, my gosh. It's really, really hot and really, really bright even with sunglasses on. It's like you walk out, and I need sunglasses. Like, you know, on a cloudy day, I need sunglasses. When the sun's out, I need sunglasses. And you walk off that bus, and you're there, and it's Israel, and this is where Jesus walked, and this is this amazing place. And, and I was like, nope, I'm getting back on the bus, because it is really, really hot and really, really bright. And it's not like a sand desert like we picture in, you know, the, the, the movies. It is all stones, like ankle-breaking terrain, rocks everywhere. So for, for Satan to know that Jesus hasn't eaten in weeks and to say, hey, look at all this potential bread out here. He, it, it's like walking Jesus into Panera and showing him the spread because there are rocks everywhere in the Israeli wilderness. And he says, hey, turn these stones into bread and your problems are solved. What he's really saying is, dude, you can Do the miraculous. Use your powers to do something and you won't be miserable anymore. What he's doing is he's trying to get Jesus distracted by achievements. Like, do this thing and everything will be all right. And I can tell you that one of life's great distractions, and you know this, it's the Troy Aikman thing. If I can just achieve this thing, I'll be fine. I will gain contentment by achieving this thing. Now, how many of you, like, like this is your, yep, I go to achievements. I, I think I'm going to achieve my way out of it. If I can just do this and this and this, if I can just do the most of this, or if I can be the best of this, or if I can achieve this goal, then, like, it's about achievement. Because for a lot of us, we resort to achievement to try to find meaning and peace and purpose in life. If I can just achieve that milestone. Now, what does Jesus do to combat? this temptation. He quotes Scripture. He quotes the Bible. That's one of the things we're going to see, too, is not only, like, so, so we're invited to look at the story, and here's Jesus, and there's temptation, and then we can kind of oversee that, okay, Satan starts out by trying to get Jesus to do something to gain contentment, happiness, whatever, and Jesus combats that with Scripture, so Jesus combats temptation with fasting, and he combats temptation by knowing and quoting Scripture, and one of the things you're going to find out in life, if you haven't already, is that, is that when we are tempted, it's usually going to be from some kind of lie or twisting of our thoughts. And when we know the scriptures, we know the truth, and we can fight temptation with truth. We fight the lies by quoting and reminding ourselves of what is true. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, by something here and now, but rather by communication, by every word that comes from God. So, so Jesus does not get distracted by Super Bowl number one of achievement because he knows and affirms. No, my well-being comes from interaction with God. Now, um, this is going to sound judgmental and I don't want it to. I said that too fast. This is going to sound judgmental and I don't want it to. Brunswick is a pretty, <clears throat> and the surrounding communities, is a pretty religious place. <clears throat> Most of the people I know have um, some kind of connection with church. Rarely do I meet somebody in Brunswick where there's no church connection. They know who Jesus is. They would check Christian on the box of the census. They know the right things about God, and they go to church. Maybe... um Christmas Eve and Easter, and a few times in between. And if somebody's in need, they're going to kick 20 bucks to this cause or that, you know, generally interested in that kind of a thing, um, responsive like that. But for the most part, still looking where suburbia looks for contentment. And, And let's face it, Jesus can't compete with a lot of life's pleasures and achievements and opportunities. Um, You know, Jesus can't compete with Europeans' best breakfast on a Sunday morning. Like, at the end of the day, um, week to week, I'd rather have the breakfast than, than church, any given Sunday. But when Things go bad in life. What you find out is that the breakfast or the activity, Red Wagon Farms, whatever it is that, that you're choosing to replace intake with and in connection with God with, that, that it doesn't give you anything to stand on. It's learning to put Jesus first, And as Jesus would say, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word. that It's the communication with God. It's the centrality of God. It's saying, I am going to make God first in my life. It doesn't mean we can't do other things, but it's that, nope, God has the central role in my life, and I will learn to have a conversational relationship with Jesus. Like, that's what takes us from everyday culture to having something real to build on. That's what takes us from winning the Super Bowl and saying, didn't do a thing for me. To Paul, I have found contentment in any and every situation. It's running after Jesus as the center, and everything else is a distant second. Let's look at the second Super Bowl, the second distraction. How many of you relate with, like, the, the, the achievement thing? Like, I often will use achievement, because I don't. Like, that's not one of my things. I'm not like, I don't, I'm not like, I got to set this goal, and if I get this, that's not my thing, okay? Let's look at the second one. The devil took him, this is verse three, the devil, I'm sorry, verse five. The devil took him to the holy city, what's the holy city, anybody? Jerusalem the center of the Jewish world that Jesus came into, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. The temple was the center of Jewish life within Jerusalem. It was like the mall, okay, it's a hub. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, and so, or so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, all kinds of crazy stuff there. Satan's actually trying to use Scripture. And Jesus combats that temptation with Scripture. But the idea here is, Go to where everybody's at and do the thing in front of everybody. Then everybody will see you and affirm you. Because Jesus came into a Jewish crowd and he needed Jewish approval. To, 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 or you know, He was there first for Jewish life. And had he gone to the center, he could have, Satan could have taken him up to some high tower in the middle of Rome or anywhere where there were more people or where there was nobody to higher structures than the temple. If if this wasn't about Jesus testing, um, you know, will these angels, this was about Jesus doing something in front of the crowd he needs to win over. So Satan is basically saying, do this for to be seen and then your life will be good. He's trying to get him distracted by Super Bowl number two, the approval of others. How many of you here get distracted by trying to get the approval of others? That's my thing. That's my thing. If I could push a button and become a billionaire, or push a button and be the best speaker in in the country or some successful Christian author, or push a button and have everybody like me, I know which one I'm pushing because all I really want is for people to like me. That's why I tell jokes in the worst and ever. (laughs) If I just be funny, people will like you. Okay, this is is my struggle. I get this. Do this thing to be seen, Jesus. Jesus has this difficult mission of connecting with God first and paying the price for the sins of the world, and he could have easily been the most likable. He could do miracles. He could heal. He could... He could have been likable if he chose, Um, and certainly he was by many, but he could have had the approval of all if he did things like that. But Jesus does not get distracted by that because he knows that approval, and, and approval is so diabolical because, like, number one, you can't, like, I can't have everybody like me, and if I did, there's no way to keep that. Talk about a hamster wheel. Trying to get people to like you and and to keep it that way. Any other approval? Approval? Like that's that's definitely my thing. Let's look at the third. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. So we got achievement, we got approval. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, their flashy. All this I will give you, he said if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The splendor of the world. Shiny things. Satan showed Jesus all the shiny things in the world and said, ooh, you can have them all if you just worship me instead of God. If you just turn from God and turn away from me to something else. You can have all the stuff, and that's the. You might say, if we're we're going with the A's, you got approval, you got achievement, and you got acquiring or acquisition. It's buying things. It's having things. It's getting distracted in life by things. Whether they be the house in the neighborhood or the car, I mean, it's all cliche. Um, the new Apple product, the 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 four hundred one k, the you know the financial position, or whatever it is, the tangible shiny things of the earth that we go after satan tried to distract jesus with that and, and you know when i went, so so here's a scripture this this strange story which you could you could just do the american thing and okay that's a story about jesus but if you really mine it like it was intended it's the story about the great distractions of life achievement i'll be okay if i can just do these things approval i'll be okay if i can do things to be seen Um, or acquisition, I'll be okay if I can just buy that. Those Those are the three great distractions. And one by one, Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's about keeping God central. And that brings us back to Paul, who says in Philippians 4 again, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, Paul started out in life on the preferred path. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was a Pharisee. That means he was incredibly intelligent and he was well-skilled in religion, because in his day, that was the currency. That was religion in the Jewish, in the ancient Jewish world. Judaism was everything, and how successful you were in that field determined how big of a deal you were in the world. And Paul was a Pharisee. That meant he was like, he, take a, like, the best thing I know to compare it to is seriously like a professional athlete. Like think about when a professional athlete walks in the room, and you get excited, like, "Oh, can I get their autograph?" Kind of like it's 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 weird. You get a little starstruck when a professional athlete walks in the room. That was that was like he was he was on the pathway with mean? he was wealthy, fame, respect, authority. Paul had it all, and then Jesus called him away from that. And to build the church, to plant and start churches and spread the Jesus movement, which meant he now became the enemy of all that. So he went from having preferred status. He knew what it was to have plenty plenty of everything, all of the things, all of you know, achievement, approval. He had it all stuff, he had it all wealth and he walked away with it and you read second corinthians i mean he got beatings and shipwrecked and just bitten by a snake like wild animals are attacking him and like he lost it all he had it all he lost it all he said i've been there i've been there and i can tell you that i know the secret of being content and it's not those things it is a central focus around jesus now i've seen this in ecuador got to spend some time with, with some people in true third world poverty where it's like they don't have food. They're not going there to get some. They're not waiting for the check to come in. They, they could go for days or weeks without food and you're waiting for disease to strike. Like they truly had nothing. Nothing and yet when they talked about jesus it was as though they were wealthy without a care in the world their eyes beamed with joy their voices quivered with happiness as they prayed it was like nothing i i mean that was that the joy in nothingness where all they had was jesus In contrast with so many people I know, including me, I mean, I have I have everything, and I'm an anxious mess half the time, probably three quarters of the time, and it ain't going the other way. It gets like (laughs) I'd like to say, oh, it's getting better, um, but when they couldn't be distracted by any of those things because it's they're just not gonna they don't have a pathway. There was so much hope and peace and contentment and fulfillment in those little shacks um, let me let me do one more thing let me let me talk real quick um, if you're looking for a habit like how can we how can we get there how can we Um, work toward, first of all, it's just kind of acknowledging, okay, you know what, I'm running after these other things, Uh, be aware, like, you know, you're looking at your life, At what are my distractions, what are my distractions, and and be aware of those, and, and maybe you need to just make that first commitment, okay, you know what, I am going to find out what it means to live in community with Jesus, and to make him first, and stop looking other places, I'm going to make spiritual growth a priority in my life, like it's never been. Like that might be one thing that you. Um, but the but the but the practice, the the habit, the, the thing to be aware of. I think one of the great enemies, just just um, um, real practical, is comparison. Because when we start comparing ourselves to others, it brings out the need to achieve. It brings out the need for approval. It brings out the need to buy things to keep up and to medicate. Buy things to medicate, whatever. But but that's one of those things uh, that I found in my own life. Comparison, comparison, will kind of bring out the desire to find those distractions that keep us from Jesus. So so, and I'll, I'll just be real. Okay, this is this is for me. Uh, I am very guilty of comparison. Um, I'll give you I'll give you an example from this past week. Monday. Uh, I got to interact with, with Dave Ambrose. I like Dave. Dave's a good dude. He's a Heartland pastor. Okay? Dave's church is about four times the size of Polaris. Dave is tall and thin with a velvety, smooth voice. I can't stand the man. No, I'm kidding. I, I, <clears throat> I like Dave, but it is impossible for Like, I hear his voice. And I find my, because I, I hate my voice. your That's my impersonation of myself. When I start comparing myself to, it just doesn't go well. And I don't think it goes well for anybody. And yet the temptation for almost everyone to compare ourselves um is pretty strong. So I would say if we're looking to truly find contentment in Jesus and put him central, uh, one of the battles, in in addition to being aware of where you're, whether it's achievement approval or buying stuff, um, or, you know, flashy things, um, combat the real desire and tendency to compare, In the world of social media, that's getting harder and harder. But that would be my, like, takeaway is Jesus needs to be center. And, um, and that's the only way we're going to find contentment. Uh, but the more you compare yourself with others, the harder it's going to be. All right, Marcus is going to come up, and we're going to do in the band, and we're going to do one last song. And I w- would invite you to make this song kind of your prayer uh, with what we just read. Um, and then we're going to do communion and uh, let you leave with hopefully something that you can take with you um, from what we, what we learned today.